Well, there is no question that when it comes to influence and persuasion in digital marketing, no one, and I mean no one, commands more respect than Dr. Robert Cialdini. If you have never read his books, Influence and Persuasion, I swear you are missing so much in your digital marketing, not only as an influencer and an advertiser, but as just a great marketer. And that's why I'm so excited to invite you to a free webinar where he'll be sharing his latest insights on new e-commerce strategies. Now, alongside Dr. Cialdini, you'll learn from Bass Wouters and the authors of Reputation King, my buddy Scott Branley and DJ Sprague. Attendees will absolutely be able to understand exactly how to gain a competitive edge in the marketplace by leveraging online reputation management. Now, that's something that we haven't talked about here on this show all that much. And it's more reason for you to register for the webinar here, which is completely free over at reputationking.com forward slash PT. So join us on April 18th from 12 noon to 2 p.m. Eastern. That's 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Pacific for you West Coasters by registering at reputationking.com forward slash PT. Once again, that's reputationking.com forward slash PT. Cialdini has been a huge influence on me. and I can't wait to see how his new e-commerce strategies resonate with you and how they affect your business in a positive way using reputation management. Make sure that you register for the April 18th free webinar at reputationking.com forward slash PT. We want to send you this makeup brush offer completely free. Every time we sold one of those, we lost a couple of bucks. But that test cost us probably when it was all in, done, 20 grand. But what we knew is we could acquire beauty conscious buyers at a certain amount. We knew that now that we have this group of buyers, guess what? They'll probably buy other stuff. You're listening to Perpetual Traffic. Hello, Traffic and Conversion Summit. Thank you guys for coming here today to this live, well, not really live because it's recorded live. It's live for them. It's live for them. Podcast episode of Perpetual Traffic. We are so grateful to have the host of this entire event and the CEO of Digital Marketer, Ryan Dice, with us here today. Unfortunately, Molly is legitimately sick. I'm really sorry to hear that. She did a phenomenal job yesterday on stage. She always represents this podcast and her brand and, you know, obviously being a former DMer still represents the brand well. So I hope she feels better soon. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. She said too many hugs of too many people yesterday. So that would definitely do it. Strangers hugging her. Yep. But today's episode, we are going to be answering your questions live, not from me necessarily, but from Ryan about traffic and conversion business questions that you guys have in your business that only this guy could probably be the best qualified to answer. He's done a number of hot seats for us and a couple of certification events that we've done, as well as he did this last year. I think there's nobody better to deconstruct as well as give solutions for business issues for a lot of these digital marketers that are here. And that's what we're really all about here is answering your questions and getting a lot of value from this guy's brain, which has a lot of knowledge when it comes to traffic, digital marketing, and conversion in general. So, oh, gosh, I hope I don't screw it up. After that, that was so much pressure. Bold, yeah. <laughs> so, where's the first question? Who's it? Who's All right, it we from? got Mike, who is our oh, customer no. success manager and is about nine feet tall. <laughs> he is our Ryan Seacrest of Italy via Hawaii. 
he lives in Italy, but he comes from Hawaii. Ciao tutti, aloha. Uh, aloha. <laughs> Yes. So he'll be, uh, he'll be our MC today fielding the questions from the field. So what do you got for us, Mike? Yes, we got a few questions. I'm going to start right here with Mr. Michael. What do you got for uh, Ryan Dice here? He has the hard life living in Italy, man. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, you and I had talked a while back. It was an awesome point, and I was going to bring it back up about how y'all handle attribution because uh, you have ad spend going on all these different channels. How do you not spend too much? You know, keep your ad spend at a certain level before you realize you're bankrupt at the end of the month, you know. So how do y'all monitor that? I believe that attribution is for budget allocation. There's still this myth that if you're doing digital marketing, you can attribute every ad dollar back to a very specific action that takes place and you just can't, right? There's no way to know that this person bought this thing because they saw this ad and then viewed this page and did this. And as a result, we need to allocate this way. It just, it doesn't actually work at scale. People are coming from so many different things, clicking on so many different ads. So, I mean, what do you do? Do you give credit to the last click, the last thing they clicked on? Oh, that campaign's working because it was the last one. No, you're not giving any credit to all the other actions they took before. Do you give credit to the first one? Well, no, obviously that doesn't make sense. So, People try to divide it up like, well, let's give 20% credit to the last one, 10% to the front, divide the rest. It just gets ridiculous. So here's what we do. We have a budget that we fix. So we have a budget that we fix. This is how much we are going to spend on advertising in a given month. That budget is based on how much revenue we expect to earn in that month. Usually it's some percentage of revenue. That could be 5% of revenue. It could be 10% of revenue, 15%, 30%. So you know, this is the amount of money I can spend. I've got this box of cash that I can spend. Let's say it's $10,000. You could be $100,000. I know for you, it's like a million dollars. So whatever the number is, right? That's what you have. Now we start tracking. We begin running campaigns and we start tracking. And what you wanna do is you wanna look at which campaigns from an attribution perspective are getting us the highest ROI the fastest. It's not just about high ROI, it's also how quickly does that ROI return? It's a bit like inventory management. You can have low margins, but if you turn it really, really, really quickly, you're making a lot. If you think about a visual being, you ever been to a wedding and they've got like a champagne glass pyramid, right? All these champagne glasses stacked on make this pyramid and they'll start to pour champagne in the top one. And then it overflows and pours into the ones below that. And then the ones below that, the ones below that. That's budget allocation. So your attribution is gonna tell you, you know what, your highest ROI, the fastest is a Google AdWords ad running just on your brand. Okay, that's the first champagne glass. Now, you've spent all that you can spend there. So what's next? What are your attribution numbers? What do your analytics tell you is kind of the next best campaign? Now you give that the rest of your budget. Okay, we spent all that we could spend there. What gets the rest of it? And you keep working down and down and down until you are out of budget until you can't spend. Now, if you've got other campaigns that you're going, yeah, but I want to spend on this campaign at ROIs, then you need to increase your budget. But you got to be careful because if you increase your budget because you believe that this ROIs at some point, if you're wrong at scale, you go broke, you run out of cash. You deprive your business of the fuel that it needs to grow. So I'm a fan of creating a budget, sticking to a budget. If sales are higher than you thought, increase your budget the next month and keep working it up, working it up. But attribution is for budget allocation. Don't use attribution in your analytics to decide, oh, we got to go all in. Last month we spent 10,000. Look how great it worked. This month, 100,000. That's crazy. Have a budget, stick to a budget. Awesome. Great answer. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you. All right, moving on down the line. Yeah. I'm with Terrell here. What kind of questions do you have for Ryan? 
So I had a question around placements. Talked a little bit to Ralph about it prior to you guys starting. And with the news feed being completely sold out and more of that happening across everything, the placements that they're starting to push are going to be the longer stream videos, the in-stream stuff with both Facebook Watch and Instagram TV, IGTV. And then the one follow-up to that is going to be Instagram following Facebook's organic changes. Like, when does that hit? Because a lot of companies are just relying on their influencers and when does the influencer growth stop and that organic that they were getting before drop down really quick because they need more ad space. You know, I work mostly in e-commerce type companies and so we haven't seen much success at all with doing anything on in-stream with really any type of success. By, by in-stream, do you mean YouTube type stuff? No, or? no, uh, Facebook. Oh, so Facebook ads yeah, just yeah. running in the pl- yeah, placement like inside the of Facebook? in-stream placement. Okay. Yeah, so we did like a, oh yeah, the short clip that's inside of a Facebook video. They don't do the pre-roll like yeah, YouTube yeah, yeah, yeah. does, so it feels a lot more annoying. And so we did some tests where we just ran that placement and it fails every time. So are there any successes that you've had kind of in that type of a placement format for e-commerce or really anything. So you would define success, I'm guessing, by ROI. Is that correct? Uh, well, even uh, ROI down the funnel. So even those people into retargeting, into like, hey, but the the audience just isn't a good warm audience that comes out of that. Okay, and that, so that's important because defining success as this built this much of a pixeled audience, this built this much of a retargeting base, and we know that that's going to be worth something down the line. If you're looking at it that way, then you're doing it right. But what I just heard from you, you're saying that, yeah, we're getting those people in, but they're not buying down the line. That's not a placement issue. That's an audience selection issue. So it's really two different things. Uh, And I think getting really, really, really clear first and foremost on who are the people who are actually buying this and what are the other things that they're buying and getting that dialed in is going to be important. So I want to come back to that. I'll address the placement issue first, though. There is no magical placement they generally are all going to work if it's being shown to the right person, right? I mean, it it just, that's the reality. And so what you've got to do, and almost none of them are going to work unless it's retargeting. It's really, really, really hard. And and I'm going to define work as ROI within a reasonable kind of return on ad spend period that you can maybe cash flow. And I warned about this. I talked about this for a TNC like four or five years ago. Now is the time to advertise to content to build that up to grow your pixeled audience. So I think it looks like doubling down on some of these new products that they release because they always over-index from an algorithm standpoint. They make it less expensive. They're going to give you more views than you deserve. Use that. That's a moment that you can increase your pixeled audience. But I do think that there needs to be a lot of that. I mean, we've had to allocate more and more and more of our budget to campaigns that we have no expectation of them ROIing but they're building our pixeled audience. And as it starts to dip below a certain number, we got to get them back in, right? But I think for you, do you, so what do you sell? You said it's a physical product? Uh, yeah, e-commerce products. So work with veteran-owned companies. So it's anything from leggings to coffee to just really anything. Yes, but it's, your market is veterans. Yeah, yeah, said. yep. But it could also be someone who is just over a certain age. Yeah, so we do a lot of different targeting. The veteran space tends to go towards people who are, NRA, you know, Donald Trump as a base uh, audience tends to return really well, return on ad spend. So we do a lot of different targeting, you know, within lookalike as a base and then interest drill ins with narrowing it down to the right audience. And I think the biggest, just going back to that placement issue, the concern that I keep having is like my own personal 
experience of getting served an ad in stream within Facebook. It's very different than getting a pre-roll shown to me on YouTube. It's much more of an interrupter and a negative experience. So when I see an ad, if that ad isn't like really, really good to me, then I almost have a negative reaction to the company that's running the ad. Yeah, okay, so stop running in-stream ads and start producing your own videos that people just wanna watch. That's the thing. You need to get video content in the feed right, and yeah, have people so watch that. And now the next thing that they're following up with is the ad that you would want to run in-stream now runs standalone after they've already viewed some content, after you've given it. some of that value in advance. I don't, do you know a lot of people who are really crushing it on in-stream? No, I mean, it's a placement that's an automatic placement inside Facebook. So yeah. we have not, we actually had this conversation before we came on. We have not broken it out individually as a placement as far as how effective it really is. My sense is that... Yeah, we haven't, e we haven't either. Yeah. We don't really do it. You know, the vast majority of the types of videos that we watch, that we do in the agency, are longer form in meaning longer than six seconds, which I believe is the ones that you're trying. Like legitimate value in advance, 30 seconds to maybe three minutes, six minutes. And then you've got legitimate retargeting audiences, 25, 50, 75% of view. And then I would use those in-stream as like a secondary, maybe a, you know, a little bit down the line after they've engaged with you initially. Hey, you're just reminding you of their quick branding. You see it now with TV ads. Like you've got the long two-minute ad on the Super Bowl. And then you see the minute ad. And then you see the 30-second. And now you see these little 15-second ads, you know, for Dilly Dilly or Bud Light or whatever it is. You know, Pepsi. It's all that same kind of thing. They didn't show you the 15-second first. They showed you the long form. So I would think about it a little bit differently. It's yeah. going to have to be brandable chunks. Yeah. So all of these things, Dilly Dilly is a brandable chunk. And so uh, we have to start producing the type of advertising, the type of content that brand advertisers have been doing for a while. And so that you do have that longer form. And now when you take a two minute into a 60, into a 30, into a 15 second, you're preserving the brandable chunk. It isn't easy, but it does come down to the content of that video. Also, it doesn't have to be amazingly, astoundingly professionally produced. It can be an iPhone type video of literally just somebody putting on a sock and going like, yay. And if I see a sock go on and a thumbs up from somebody who looks like me, especially if I've seen a longer version of that somewhere else, that's going to trigger, right? So it has gotten harder. Yeah. You know, the bar has been raised, but I do think you need to be out there producing videos and the in-stream stuff should really only be running from a retargeting perspective to people who already saw the long form. Right. He brings up an interesting question, though, at Digital Marketer. How do you spend a fair amount every month on advertising? And there's a certain percentage of that that does not, it's not attached to a return on ad spend. Yeah. How do you guys sort of figure out, okay, I know I'm going to spend X amount of percent, or how do you guys sort of figure it out? Because you know it's going to pay off, especially if it's valuable content on the front end. How do you guys determine what that spend amount will be? Yeah, it goes back to budget. Um, yeah. I, I don't know the percentage right now. I know right. where we started. We started at 20%. Got it. So again, let's say that just a nice big round numbers. Let's say that we're spending $100,000 a month in advertising. When we first started, it was, we're going to allocate 20 yeah. just to content just to build the pixeled audience. So we look at a couple of things. We say, how big are our different pixeled audiences that we know are high value segments? Right. If that number starts to dip, because they do. I mean, what, how often does Facebook keep somebody in a particular audience? Do you know if they don't come back and re-engage? Hard to say. We don't, don't there, really there was a time know. when there was a number. Yeah. It, was like a, like, yeah. it was like three months or six months, something like that. But they do, they will wash out. So mm -hmm. if it starts to dip, then we'll know we need to increase it. But we start off 20%. Yeah. So I, I encourage people, if, if right now, if you're spending... Maybe it's $1,000 a month, right? Take 200 of that and just invest that on 
content. Yeah. Maybe co content that doesn't even have a call to action. Yep. And just say, it's going to go over there. Right. right now in every campaign, you got 20% of waste. You got 20% that isn't ROIing that well anyway, that isn't ROIing that quickly. You won't miss it that much if mm -hmm. it were gone. But in 30, 60, 90, 120 days, you're going to see as these pixeled audiences grow, what you're able to spend can go up dramatically because sure. your ad costs, cost of acquisition in the aggregate goes down because you're primarily mm. advertising to your own pixeled audiences that right. you generated. And you actually talked about in your opening keynote is there is going to be a certain amount of things that you do as a digital marketer in 2019 that doesn't have a ROAS or ROI attached to it. Yeah. It's just part of doing business. If and it you has a couple a, of examples of that. Yeah. If, if it has a return on ad spend, if you can track it directly, if you know that this is going to work, then there's no risk. If there's no risk, I mean, there's tons of legitimate no-risk investments out there. You know, you could stick money in like a bank CD, for example, right now. It pays mm -hmm. nothing, you know, because it's no risk. We know that to generate a return, we're going to have to take some risk. I think what that looks like are doing the things that you can't track, doing right. the things that have no attribution to your earlier question. Totally. And, um, and, so, but I, and I think in any business, you can carve out 20%. Yeah. You can carve out 20% to doing that. I would also say if you're not generating a return fast enough, Stop trying to optimize all of your ads and all of your traffic and start trying to optimize the leads once you have them. Mm. You know, put chat on your site and start talking to people. You may have one or two conversations in a given month that somebody's ready to really go big that you take a funnel that might last six months for somebody to work their way through the process that you've deemed they need to walk through. Mm -hmm. And then you give somebody an opportunity to raise their hand and they just do. We've had people show up at Traffic Conversion Summit day one and say, hey, I want to sign up for that war room thing. Yeah. They just want to sign up. Yeah. Now, if we were a digital market, we'd say, no, no, you don't understand, sir. Um, <laughs> you have to get a trip. What, a what you magnet. need to do. Yes, yeah. exactly. Our lead First. magnet is you need to um, fill out this sheet. That's where you can request to attend our breakfast. Yep. When you show up for the breakfast, that's a micro commitment of your time. That's a tripwire. Right. That's the entry point off. We're going to need you to go through that. Yep. At that point, we're going to have you fill out an application. That serves as the core offer. Now, mm -hmm. if you don't catch up, we're going to fall off. That's the return path, and we're going to keep this going. Even when they're waving their credit card at you, you Absolutely. still... Absolutely, yeah, you got to stick by done. the funnel. That's, yeah, that's, that's the funnel. The funnel. No, mm -hmm. and, and, and it would be utterly absurd to do that at an event like this when somebody walks up to you, and yet we do it all day, every day, online. Yeah. Give people an opportunity to raise their hand, walk up and say, I want to circumvent your stupid funnel and just give you money now. Yeah. I think you'll be shocked at how quickly your ad spend returns. I think it was you that actually said it, and we talk about it at Tier 11 all the time. Always give them an opportunity to buy. They don't necessarily yeah. need to go through this whole thing. And for you, I, I think I've told you this story before. <laughs> I'm probably the case study for this because I bought 43 split tests from you in like 2009. And then the next thing I bought was Warum. Yeah. So people will circumvent your funnel. Yeah. They like to cut in line. Give them the opportunity to do that. Yeah. Um, so stop trying to, oh, it's not working. I know what I need to do. Optimize my ads. I need to bug my agency. God right. dang it. Stop sucking once you got the traffic. True. It works. You need more people like me, I think, in digital marketing. I agree. Yeah. I agree. I think so. Just, I'll just clone myself. All right. Awesome. Appreciate the questions here. Next guy, we actually know a little bit about who he is. Yes, Mike. we have uh, Mr. Rick here, and he's got a question. Yeah, Rick Barker, he's a good friend of our producer, Darren Clark. Somebody and has to be, right? Oh, really? Somebody, yeah. somebody, somebody has, has, to, has to be. You got one. Friend. High five, buddy. This exactly. is one Woo. friend he's got right Darren's here. got a friend. Right. That's yeah. Right. yeah. <laughs> so first off, I just want to say thank you to you, Ryan, because you're the first marketer that's come out and started talking common sense with your opening 
segment. So I've been in the music business. So I've been teaching starving artists how to build organic traffic for free for a long time. I was blessed to have launched the career of Taylor Swift. I was her manager from the very beginning. Taylor, I said, hey. I will do I'm that. I'm just kidding. She doesn't know yeah, me. Sh- shake yeah. it off. It's yeah. cool. Uh, so Friend on Facebook. basically, we started with MySpace, where you go on and you build relationships. And then we had... Facebook came along. We weren't allowed on because we weren't students. So then we got on there. But what happened is social media started going around. The marketers came and screwed it all up like we do with everything. That's what we do. We just jump in everyone's face and try to do this stuff. To this gentleman's point, I have a nine minute and 27 second long video that I did for through plays. I'm getting three cent views. I have over 1200 people that watch 95% of that video because I'm teaching. I'm teaching a segment to a webinar, one of the three segments. So when you're talking about just give them what they do. Another thing I want to say, thank you for bringing that up. So I just did a free plus shipping on my book. I got an amazing return. I had a $30 cart off of 471, 971. And all the folks at the last convention that took place last week, because I'm involved with that, were like, oh my gosh, how much did you spend? I said, well, I spent one hour on Monday night doing Instagram live bringing people on, having a cigar by my fire, called it a fireside chat, just answering their questions. I did the same thing Tuesday night. I did the same thing Wednesday night. On Thursday night, I said, I got a box of books. I've already paid for them. If you'd like one, I'd send it to you. The upsell was coaching. So for those three days, I was doing what I was about to sell. I was just doing, it's, you can keep your people close enough to you with them still being far enough away because of the screen on social. So I just applaud you because everyone's teaching Pay this, get in this, get in front of this. And you're like, dude, just go in and be nice to people. Yeah. Just go in and find out what the heck they want. Just don't, love them. Don't be on a them. freaking weirdo. Yeah. I don't, know, I, don't, yeah. I don't know how else to say it. Everybody's like, this isn't working. I'm like, because you're acting like a jerk. Like, if you did that in real life, you get punched in the face. So Yeah. Well, I, I tell artists, I said, look, if you, what happened with the record companies is they took over doing the socials for the artists. And the artists like, whoo, great. That's like handing my my responsibilities as a father over to someone else it's like your audience you're your customer service portal that that piece that you have in your hand is very very powerful so to hear you come out and say it on the biggest stage it's about time somebody said it so thank you i don't have any thank questions you. i just want to say i appreciate well, I, you. I appreciate that and I'll, I'll piggyback on something that you said stop using the word spend so often how much did you spend how much, you switch it with invest how much did you invest in that? Like, we have an expectation of return. When you say spend, it makes like it's gone and it's never coming back. That's, that's not what we're doing. We're investing and growing bigger. Awesome. I'm going to get uh, to Michael one more time. You have a follow-up question? <laughs> yeah. All right. I'll allow it. Actually, He's a I'll tier 11 customer, so he gets and a war member. He can do whatever the heck he wants member. to do. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. You have to be nice to, to me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, I was going to ask about automations. At what point are you getting ridiculous with automations? Like, how do you avoid death by a thousand automations, you know, because I know y'all have had a lot of success with it, but also failures. So what are some gotchas that y'all have learned you're going overboard with automations? Yeah, we have. We got deep, deep, deep in the automation world. And it is astounding how many things work in theory and on paper, but in in practice, they break because it's technology and it's robots. And uh, boy, when it breaks, you look really, really stupid. And there's times when, you know, we'd have people saying, I literally got five emails from you today. Well, it's because something broke in our automation. Thing. We didn't do that. We didn't send. We didn't click send on that many emails. We screwed something up. And so what I would say is if you're going deep in automation, you're trying to do this, you're probably thinking to do too much. Think of automation more as that answering machine. Hey, so-and-so is not here right now. I'll get back to you. Maybe a little bit of a follow-up. You shouldn't try to automate every aspect of the relationship. It should be there on the front end for filtering just to get more tactical and practical. We don't really have an email follow-up campaign that goes out longer than about a week, maybe a week and a half. 
We used to have email follow-up campaigns that went for years. Not exaggerating. We went, you got on the list and you were going to get some type of email. It was planned. We had your destiny. The next two years of your inbox's life were determined. And we looked at the numbers. We're like, you know, after about two weeks, they are not opening any of this stuff. I don't know why. And then we could follow up with something, you know, new and novel and boom, the open rate goes all the way back up. I think you've got to say, how long is somebody in market? How long are they in market? They are interested in buying something for a certain period of time. And within that period of time, they're either going to make a purchase or they're not, and they're going to have to come back later. Think about how long from the moment you decide that you want to buy a car to the moment you actually buy the car. How long is that generally? A week? Two weeks? How long are you really going to go and research for most people, right? Maybe a month? But in general, if you're a couple weeks into your search, if you've gone and test drove some cars and you haven't bought a car yet, you ain't buying a car right now. You might buy it next year. Well, well that's a 40, 50, might be a $100,000 purchase. And yet most, it's a purchase most people make in a week or two. Houses are the same thing. The largest investment you're ever going to make in your life. People will look for a house. They'll go house hunting for like a month. And yet you want to have an automation, a follow-up series, all this process can do this thing that goes on for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks, and you're selling a freaking widget? Come on. They forgot about you. They're just not that into you. So I think you need to be really precise and really concise and use automation to try to drive re-engagement. So we send out emails to try to get them to email us, to try to get back in. And then you know what you do if they don't do it? You stop talking to them about that. You change the subject. You ever been in a room full of people? And you brought something up in the room, just everybody just went, oh, and you realize, oh, I said something I shouldn't have said. I brought something up. I shouldn't have done it. Happens all the time. Happens all the time in the Burns household. Like, oh, that was a no-no. And you're like, quickly change the subject. Same thing. I think in general, somebody's on your list. They didn't buy the thing you want to buy. Stop the automation. Just start talking to you again like a normal human. Hey, what's going on? What's new? What's up with you? And it's very difficult And I would argue impossible to be current, to be new, to be up to date while you're simultaneously automating everything. Can't do it. With chatbots, we're automating the first two or three questions. Hey, what are you here for? What's going on? What can I help you with? Need help in one of these areas? Then we're done. They're either engaging or they're not. Somebody's coming in. So I think it's measured in days. I think it's measured in a few questions. I don't think it's measured in weeks and months. And it largely depends on your product lifecycle. Really, it does. I mean, it, when you say product life cycle, what do you mean? Well, I mean, for somebody who is, you know, let's say they're a purchaser for automation. Like, for example, if you know that your product is like your product, they might not really engage with you a whole lot in the first 30 to 60 days, but you know that at 30 to 60 days, they're probably going to need a refill or they're going to need some kind of re up, whatever it happens to be, spark the purchase again. I mean, we see that all the time in the agency. Like, how do you reactivate? And you talked about this briefly is marketing to your buyers as well and paying paid advertising to your buyers. So many folks, they rely on the email sequence as well for that, which just that alone, you know what the open rates are now, but you can get into their newsfeed, you can get into their messenger, you know, at just the right time to either reactivate them with something new or get them to purchase again or reorder or whatever it happens to be. Yeah, and, that, and that's why I think it's such a good distinction. Note that I didn't say go away. I said change the subject. Right. Talk about something different. Don't go away. Change the subject. We'll have follow-up campaigns, follow-up email series. They won't do anything. We'll say, okay, let's do this campaign next week. We're going to do email and we're going to tie in the social campaigns and we're going to get everybody in our community talking about it. We're going to do this and this and this. And it's going to be a big uh 
It's going to happen. And then everybody who engages in that, we're going to talk to them about that thing for a couple weeks. And I mean, that, I mean, look, we're going to, when this event ends, you're going to be hearing from us about Traffic and Conversion Summit for about a week. We're going to bug the snot out of you. And then we won't for a long time, right? That's just how that works. Get in there, get precise. Cool. What do we got next? Yes, I'm here with John, and he's got a question for you guys as well. Thanks, guys. Long-time listener, first-time caller. And uh, (laughs) (laughs) I just want to say I really enjoyed the part of your keynote regarding companies having an advantage and just seeing it the right thing to do to have real-time one-on-one communication. So my question is, do you have a suggestion on what a company might do to start with that? And then for Ralph, maybe what, how you might apply that to Facebook advertising to get that out there. Yeah, so do you have a, a customer care department? Do you have people that are already responding to tickets? No, just a one-person show. You're one, you're one person show? Okay, hire one person. Okay. Hire one person to talk to your customers, and I would be shocked if they don't pay for themselves for the entire month in the first couple of days that you start doing it. Because it's astounding. Like, you talk to people and they come in like, hey, how's it going? They actually wind up buying sometimes. Not everybody, but it doesn't, it doesn't take that many. And I would have that person because really one person show, you got too much work to do to be responding to all your own, doing your own stuff. You need help anyway. So it's funny. I believe that the future of work, one aspect of it, you know, the unemployment could be better. It's better than it was, but it still could be better. And the sector that's losing jobs the fastest is the retail sector. You know, the kids, that's where all the entry level jobs were, right? You go and you'd work for a clothing company and that'd be your kind of first job or you'd go work in a fast food restaurant. Well, they're all going away. And that's the challenge. I think where that's coming back is working for people like you and people like us coming into our office saying, talk to people in the same way that you would talk to somebody in a retail environment. You walk into a clothing store, hey, how's it going? Let me know if I can help you with anything. Now, that's not actually a great opening question as marketers. We need to teach our people to say, hey, how's it going? Are you looking for shirts? Are you looking for pants? Much better question, by the way, if you're running a clothing store, because then they got to answer. You say, hey, can I help you with something? They're going to say, nope. Everybody says, hey, want to chat? Nope. Right? I don't. So marketing and copywriting still plays into it. But you need some retail workers, man. You need, what, what do you sell? Facebook advertising for churches. It's a training center. A training center. So it's Facebook advertising for what? Churches. So churches come to you to learn how to do Facebook advertising? Correct. Yeah. So what do you charge for that? It's a monthly subscription. So it's 39 bucks a month. 39 bucks a month. So you're looking at an you know, annual value, call it $500? Yeah. Can we round up? Yeah. It's really hard for me to imagine putting somebody on that that doesn't sell a few of them. And my guess is you, they would sell annuals mm-hmm. if you're talking to people. Okay. Because like, on site, it can sometimes be a little bit difficult. Do you want the monthly right. trial? Do you want to do this? Somebody's going, it's like, hey, right now we have a, a special where if you go ahead and pay for it for the year, I yeah. could do this and this and this. Would you want to do that? Yeah, sure. Okay, great. I'll do that. Yeah. Websites kind of suck at that. Okay. People are pretty good at it. Right. And it's oddly natural when it happens. So I really think, I think it's time to invest, not spend. I think it's time to invest in a human being. And I think where you'll also make it up is there's a lot of things you're doing right now that you shouldn't be doing. Bring that person in, mm-hmm. get them trained, get them going. I'll give a resource. I don't make any money by telling this, but Belay Solutions, B-E-L-A-Y, Belay Solutions is a group that we've used. They can uh, help get you like executive assistants part-time and they'll source them, they'll find them, but they can also do some of this skill-based work. I want to do some basic customer service. Uh, So Belay Solutions, I'll give them a, I'll give them a plug. Okay, great. Thank you. We like them as well. We use them. Yeah, Yeah, that's where my my executive assistant came from there. So for sure, we give them lots of money and are happy to do it. We'll continue to do so. Yeah. Pays right, for thank itself. You, it. Thank you. Yeah. On the Facebook side of the equation, to, these are people that have already purchased or you're trying to get them to purchase, I assume. Yeah. 
what kind of list do you have? Is it email? Is it messenger lists? Is it both. Both. both? This goes back to the automation question. It's like you can automate the hell out of your many chat funnel. And we've certainly done it here at tier 11, but you know, a one-on-one -on -one like, hey, how's it going? Or are you still looking for help with your Facebook ads? You know, the nine word email on Messenger, some kind of question to re-engage them. Hey, I just came out with a new blog post about how, you know, we've been able to help churches double their return on ad spend on Facebook ads. Wanna take a look at it? Like ask them something that's useful and helpful. It does go back to the human interaction here. And you could do that in a broadcast, obviously, through Messenger, or that would be my preferred choice, I think, in this particular case. But you're useful, then you engage them, and you're like, oh, I might have forgotten about this guy a little bit, but that is actually helpful. And then maybe have that person and say, hey, how'd you like the article? I'm here if you have any questions for you. And then it's a back and forth. It's human interactions, which once again, yeah. that was the subject of your talk again. Big, yeah, big part. I'm going to yeah. keep saying it until somebody actually does it. And you're not going to like my suggestion and what I'm about to say. But one thing that we have done in the past and that I've encouraged other people to do, take some of the budget that you're putting towards ad spend and reallocate that towards a human being to actually talk to the people who you're acquiring over here to come to your site. I'm all for that. And, and, and yeah, because you're smart enough to know eventually it's going to come back and it's that ad spend is going to go right back up totally. and it's going to stay up. Yep. Spend less on advertising in the beginning, tighter focus markets, bring because people are like, yeah, but I can't, I can't have somebody, I can't talk to everybody who comes to my website. There's too many people. I've got a solution. Have less. Spend less, have less, higher quality, tighter focusing, talk to them more, right? The list of digital marketer, uh, is I think 800 some odd thousand is around 600,000 people at this event, which, I mean, if you told me I could have one or the other, like I really, if I really had to pick the 6,000 people who are here are, are more valuable than the, you know, than, than the list. I mean, obviously 6,000 here are in that, but if you're going to take them out, right. right uh, same. I mean the, you know, 12,000 members, lab members, right. I don't know if that's, I think it's higher than that, but um, it's incredibly valuable. Like that, it doesn't have to be, we've got it so obsessed with scale and it's got to be these big, massive numbers and that's why we can't talk to people. Invite less through today. Okay, yeah, make better use of the small. Yeah, make, make yeah. better use of the people who are in market, love on them a little bit more and uh, I think you'll find that you just, that return on ad spend is going to happen faster and what do you know? You can invest in more advertising, you can hire more people to have more conversations. It's like a real business in everything. Yeah, how about that? It's weird. Wow. <laughs> All right, great, thank you. Thank you. Awesome. Appreciate it. Mike, what do we got uh, next? Who's up? Yeah, we got uh, Lee over here who has a question. One of my biggest learnings from this conference has been the evolution of the funnel into the customer journey. It's also been a validation because that's a lot of what I've been doing, right? Um, I reported back to a business partner of mine who's very brand focused. She's worked for some of the biggest you know, brands, PPG, uh, consumer packaged goods. We argue all the time because I'm very metric driven, direct response driven. She's brand. It's a great balance. Basically, when I told her the biggest learning of, you know, the, yeah, the great, the funnel's evolving into the customer journey, she basically said, oh, interesting. That's what brands have been focused on for a long time. And it's interesting to see direct response and e-commerce going that way. I was like, okay, I'm kind of bummed a little bit because I always see, you know, direct response differently to brands. Um, so it kind of leads back to your, what you've been talking about in terms of the the full circle that direct response digital has, has been going. And now you're talking about, you know, do things that don't scale. You're scaring the, the hell out of all, you know, those metric driven yeah. people. So is, it appears to me there's a convergence happening, direct response and brands. So I'd be really interested to hear whether you agree that's happening 
and what your thoughts are, what that would, what that looks like, so, and the challenges that we we may face as direct response digital marketers. Yeah. So two things. One, the word that you used is the right one. It's convergence. Direct response is not becoming more like branding. It is, but not at the exclusion of branding becoming more like direct response. You know, the big brand people have realized, you know what, maybe we should measure some of this stuff. They've been actually coming our way longer than we've been going theirs. The internet and digital and analytics, it made direct response marketers look smarter than we used to look. We were always right, but we were never cool. All right? The nerds in Silicon Valley made us look cool. Yay! Now what we did is we then declared, haha, we are right. And we're going to stand on our side over here and we're going to call you stupid because you've been telling us we're stupid forever. You've been marginalizing us. That's stupid. It's a false dichotomy. Branding, direct response, it's all called marketing. It's all marketing. That's all that it ever is. I think of branding as branding is making a deposit of relational equity. That's the best way to do it. A lot of people, if they come from a brand background, they think a brand is a style guide. No, it's not. That's a consistency piece. It's important, but it's not brand, right? When you are doing branding, what you're actually doing is you're making deposits of relational equity, right? Some of the examples I showed, you think about the Coke Hilltop ad, right? You think about if an ad makes you laugh, that's a deposit of relational equity. That brand made me laugh, so I like them, right? Branding is making deposits of relational equity. As direct response marketers, we say that's stupid. How do you know if it works? You're going to go broke. And some do. Lots don't. Biggest companies in the world, all they do is say, how can we make more deposits of relational equity? We believe it will work out at some point. Direct response marketers are really good at making withdrawals of relational equity. And that's a really hard word to say, withdrawal. Um, I just realized that, withdrawal. But a lot of W's in there. Yeah, they're really good at making withdrawals. They're good at, at the extraction process. We've gotten really, really good at the extraction process. We never really learned how to make the deposit process. But the important thing to keep in mind is there's absolutely nothing wrong with making a withdrawal from a bank account if you have adequate funds on deposit. If you make a withdrawal from a bank account where you have no funds on deposit, that's called theft. That's called bank robbery. And the reason that a lot of direct response marketers have gotten a bad rap is they're trying to make withdrawals before they've made a deposit. They're stealing attention, right? They're stealing energy. In many cases, they're actually taking money from people that they shouldn't be taking money from, right? And they're wondering why people get pissed off at them. It's because you're a thief. So as is so often the case, if 15 years of marriage has taught me one thing, it's that the answer is somewhere in the middle, right? I mean, that's kind of the thing. It's convergence. It's compromise. It's yes. Because you know who got that? David Ogilvy got that. David Ogilvy understood that. One of the greatest brand marketers and one of the greatest direct response marketers. And it's a reason that he was the best in the business because he got both. He did not see this as being mutually exclusive. He did not accept the false dichotomy that is branding versus direct response. They needed to come our way and they have. It's time for us to go back their way. And he had a tremendous amount of respect for pure direct response marketers. Absolutely. Like a reverence. But keep in mind, I don't know if you were here what I said before, direct response marketers, I said just allocate 20% towards content that you don't expect an ROI from. Another way to say that is allocate 20% of your budget to branding. Right. Right? To branding. Not branding of look at my logo. Branding of look at this amazing piece of content that I prepared for you. Look at this great video that made you laugh. Have you seen digital marketers commercials playing the like stupid ideas to get people to go to the booth? It's like the worst call to action in the world. But we've had more comp- people come out to the booth like, oh my God, that was so funny. We're so-and-so. We want to do this. We made them laugh. Make them laugh. Make them cry. Make them feel something. Most definitely. Do we have time for one more question or how are you doing on time? I'm, I'm, I, got, yeah, I got time for one more and then I think there's some people who expect me to be on a stage. 
Ah, yes. that stage thing. That pesky stage gets thing. in the way. I know. I don't like it either. Yeah, well, it's got to be done. All right, Mike, what do we have for our final question for Ryan Dice? Randy is going to bring it home for us with his right. question. Bring, bring it, it home. home. All right, then we'll throw did you. We a- say that at the same time? We did. Wow. Wow. <laughs> now, that's Jinx. practice. You guys are melding of the minds, right? Yeah, we practiced beforehand. Convergence of the mind. Awesome. Well, uh, I just started an e-commerce store. It's my first TNC. It's the first thing I decided to do to try and learn this space. And I'm inventing and selling my own small consumer products. And the first product I invented in selling is a trowel product. It's not a very high value. It's a $12.88 item. I'm selling in single packs and double packs. So I get up to $24 and $25 order value. My question is, is there room in Facebook advertising with something that's such a small margin? I'm hearing a lot of people that are selling products have a you know, $300 value, uh, annual value of $500, $600 value. How can I get to a mass market with something that's not very expensive. Is that possible on the long haul? Why don't you, uh, I, I definitely have my opinion. Have you worked with anybody who's been able to make it work at that price point? Not really. What is your margin <laughs> on it at $12.88? Uh, I make about nine or $10. Nine and 10 bucks, okay. Yeah, oh, okay. And, and I do, I'll, when I sell a two pack, course it gets better and better so i'm selling two packs and four packs and it does just fine so right. you know maybe the one pack's almost breaking even when i'm doing facebook ads but when i get a two pack it gets better etc cetera, etc cetera. so if i can upsell yeah. a little bit that's the sweet spot i need to find there's no way it's going to work at scale i'll just tell you that right now right your average order value your customer lifetime value is too low at scale you're going to spend too much but don't hear that as being like so give up it's pretty stupid for you to be here and that was dumb no When we decided we wanted to go into the beauty space, I wanted to find out, can we sell a makeup brush? A makeup brush. Eventually, we wanted to sell an entire cosmetics line. But I wanted to see, can I sell a makeup brush? Because guess what? If somebody will buy a makeup brush, you know what they're also likely to buy at some point? Makeup to put on the brush, right? So we imported, I want to say 10,000 makeup brushes. It cost us approximately $10,000 to import makeup brushes. Had we tried to import the entire product line, makeup, all the other stuff would have been hundreds of thousands of dollars, right? No way would we want to invest that kind of money. So we brought in 10,000 makeup brushes. That was the minimum order that we could do. It was more than I wanted to spend, but it was 10,000 bucks. And we put some money in. All I wanted to find out, how much do we have to spend to get somebody to buy? And by buy, I mean, take the makeup brush for free because our cost was about a buck. So it was just a free plus shipping. We want to send you this makeup brush offer completely free. Just pay $2.95 shipping and handling. Every time we sold one of those, we lost a couple of bucks. Now, we do the same thing. If you want to get another for a friend, that's this much extra. So we got a little bit of margin, offset a little bit. But that test cost us probably when it was all in, done, 20 grand. 20 grand. But what we knew is we could acquire beauty conscious buyers at a certain amount. We knew what we could do. And we knew that now that we have this group of buyers, guess what? They'll probably buy other stuff. So once we had them, we said, let's now go ahead and import that line of makeup brushes. Then we added to the offer, once we knew we could get them on the front end, you just got one makeup brush. How would you like to get the entire set? Once we added that, boom, it worked. Right? Then we're able to go and now build out a cosmetics line. Why? Because we already have a base of customers to sell it to. We could do it with confidence. So what you have right now is a product. A product is not a business make, but it does a business start. That is, and that's exactly what I'm starting yeah. with. So, so right, exactly. go out there and find out. But if your goal is, and that's why I think I asked earlier, what's your goal of the traffic campaign? Is it a positive ROI? You right. will not have a positive ROI. Right. Accept that. It's okay. What you'll do if you go out and sell it is you'll learn how much does it cost you to acquire a travel gadget buyer. 
Right, exactly. And I'm guessing if they buy one, they'll buy another gadget from you and other right. things. Right, right. You could likely maybe even sell those leads to travel agencies and other deals. You could do those kind of things. There's lots of ways to do it. If you ever see the short form infomercials, hey, you buy the Slap Shop for $20, right? Yeah, absolutely. They're losing yeah, yeah, money yeah. on that. They're not right. making money selling that 1995 offer. But when you call in or when you go to the site, there's upsells. And guess what? They're going right, to sell right. your name to a billion other people, right? Because if you're buying a Slap Shop, that means you probably got a kitchen. If you right, got a kitchen, you right, might want right. to buy homeowner's insurance. See what I'm saying? So, got and I'm it. not saying, right. by the way, that you go out there and just start selling data left and right. right. I'm using it as an example that the value is in the acquisition. It's another value that can pull out from that. The value, right? the yeah. hardest thing in the world to do is to acquire a customer from scratch. Once you figure that out, everything else becomes remarkably simple. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like getting that first date's the toughest. If you're not a complete jackass, there's a good shot you're going to get a second date. Okay. Well, last, last follow-up question. At what point on, a, on an order value, like say for one-time customers here buying a travel gadget, right? And you buy two or four or ten. I'm have people buying ten. Where does the customer need to spend to where you can start actually doing okay margin-wise on Facebook? Do you think does it need to be a fifty-dollar buy, a forty, two hundred? Are you talking gross margin? Okay. Gross margin, um, yeah. I mean, for us, I, your initial question was, you know, can I actually make money on that price point without any of the stuff that Ryan talked about? It's very challenging. Even with the margins that you're talking Even about. Even when people are buying have, tens. Yeah. 10 packs, I don't think they're going to do it in enough quantity. And, and look, what you may decide is you need to actually get on the wholesale side and you yeah. need to sell your products to the people who already have your customer and become their little profit maximizer. I'm doing that as well. I'm, yeah. you know, I'm going to have you know, you know, promotional giveaways, wholesale yeah, retailers, perfect. the whole thing. And then the direct to customers, but also but, one but part of the But keep in mind, the marketing that you're deal. doing to do this initial acquisition is going to drive the awareness of that. You, you, know, you that, realize yeah, that all the circle Snuggie, supports everything. Remember the Snuggie? Our blanket's just too hard, right? The, snu- the old yeah. Snuggie? Um, do that far too It's a blanket with sleeves. The Snuggie didn't really make all that much money while it was on TV. The Snuggie generated a lot of awareness, though, and then they were able to sell into CVS, Rite Aid. They made their money on the retail dump. Uh, so what you may wind up doing is leveraging online to build the brand, have people talking about the product, and now, yeah, you're doing some direct sales. It's on Amazon, but really, it's a wholesale business. So when I do get the meeting with you know Hudson News for the airport stores all around the world, they know who we are. Bingo. And you, you might just might want to go and do a little looky searchy on the LinkedIn's for who is the buyer at Hudson News? Who makes those decisions? Oh yeah. All this info is findable. And if it's findable, it's placeable into a custom audience. So maybe just maybe this item is showing up in their newsfeed too. Yeah. I did that with the journalist. Yeah. I used to do that before Facebook made it to where you could just put a single one in there. I'd create ads to screw with my friends. My mom's going to hate that now because I'm going to do that. Good. (laughs) It's a shame they took that away. That was so much fun. I know. It was fun. But you, I really appreciate all the great questions here. Yeah, these were phenomenal questions. Yeah, these are great questions. Did they just walk up? They just walked up. Yeah. Because sometimes they just walk up and it's like, that was a stupid question. They were all really good. They're smart people here. Smart people. You attract the right type of audience. Thank you. That's it. So, no, I know you got to get back on stage. Thank you, sir. This has been super helpful for all our audience members as well as myself. Always learn something from you and really appreciate you coming on the show here today with a crazy schedule that you have at Traffic and Conversion Summit. uh, My my pleasure. Thank you. Much love for the Perpetual Traffic Podcast. All right. Thanks, y'all. Appreciate it. You've been listening to Perpetual Traffic. For more information and to get the resources mentioned in this episode, visit digitalmarketer.com forward slash podcast. Thank you for listening.
John Moran here. Q1 is closing and it probably didn't go as well as you'd hoped. I'm sure your agency is telling you that they crushed it, but in reality, it probably crushed you. If your agency isn't on the same page as you, or if there's something wrong but you can't quite put your finger on what, go to tier11.com forward slash apply. That's tier11.com forward slash apply. And we'll get set up on a call to show you a better way to look at your business, not just metrics that make agencies look good.